so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Okay, good morning uh, from me. My name's Nick. Uh, hello at home. Um, I assure you that that noise is not coming out of me. Um, so one thing we're going to start doing uh, as a church again, uh, which has been kind of tabled for a long time because uh, in case you haven't noticed, church has kind of been interrupted a little bit by this pandemic thing that's happened for the last couple of years. And though we're still uh, lingering with that, one thing we want to really get back to is um, sharing testimonies in the life of the church. And so I want to kind of uh, pre-prepare those. And so if you've got a testimony uh, that you'd like to share or have shared, some people, you know, the idea of speaking in front of people um, is a little bit terrifying. So you might like to write that down and have one of our leaders share. Um, but if you've got a testimony, and so a testimony is, is a word we use to um, speak of something God has done in our life. Uh, that, that will give him glory. Uh, if you've got something you'd like to share in the life of the church to encourage others, to, 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 to build them up, we say that God's the same God that did that thing for that person and so we can be encouraged by that for ourselves. And uh, I'd love to hear during the week. You can email nick at yasbaptist.org.au. You can go just to our website, ycbc.church. There's contact details there. You can call me. Um, you can do all kinds of things. Um, you can grab me before church and say, hey, I've got a testimony today. Uh, and we want to start to line up a few testimonies to share uh, so that we can be encouraged one another in that way. This morning, um, before we get to our Bible reading, I just want to share uh, a testimony I shared a few weeks ago. Uh, partly it was just prompted this morning um, in, uh, in our worship time on, on my heart. Again, a reminder for me, and so I want to remind the church about that. Um, and so as I shared a few weeks ago, uh, some time ago, in, we've been in the house we're in now for coming up to two and a half years, and, and so probably 12 to 18 months ago, we planted four citrus trees that we picked up at, at Aldi, and they haven't grown much, but one of them looked completely dead, and I'm pretty optimistic uh, and um, refuse to believe that things have died. Um, trees, fish that are starting to tilt on the side a little bit, uh, and, and so uh, it took me a long time to accept this tree was actually dead. Um, and, and even so, even after I accepted that it was dead and I said to my wife that day, you know, I think that, I think it's a, um, a lemonade tree. So I'm not sure what that looks like, whether eventually we can kind of tap it and, and pull lemonade from it. Um, but I said to my wife, I think that you're right. I think that that tree is actually dead. Um, but even so that day in my optimism, I still watered all four trees. Uh, and as I shared uh, a few weeks ago on Sunday morning, um, which is not a normal practice, I walked out into our backyard and um, see if I can resolve that up here. No, don't have much control. I, I walked out into our backyard and I um, looked at this tree and there was buds on it that it, had, it was blossoming back to life. Um, and it wasn't so much a seasonal thing because the other trees always had leaves on them. It wasn't that it was just the time for these, this tree now. It was that this tree was coming back to life. And I said then, and I, I want to say the same thing this morning, uh, is that um, God, I think, wanted to, to let us know that the thing that we thought was dead... Um, 
this thing. Try that now. Still no good. The thing, whoa, the thing that, so going back, the, 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 the tree had buds on it, uh, that it was blossoming back to life all over it. And, and so I felt like God impressed on me that morning. And as I shared with the church then, I want to share with us again this morning is, is that God was saying to us, the thing that you thought was dead, the thing that you're hoping for, the thing that you hoped would bear fruit in your life um, that you've given up on, look again. Uh, it wasn't, it's not so much a promise that everything we've ever hoped for is going to come back to life and, and, and I don't want us to, to feel that way about what I'm sharing this morning, but it was just an encouragement to look again. Uh, and so I've been back to that tree, it's easy because it's where I live, uh, but I have been back to that tree several times and there's more and more leaves and they're growing and, and it looks like that tree is going to flourish once more. Uh, so I don't know what it is for us, but I think it's just a little, re- for you, but it's a little bit of a reminder for me to never give up on the things that we hope for in God that we believe are from Him especially. And so uh, I, I want to... Um, encourage you um, to grab hold of that testimony this morning if there's something in your life uh, probably more significant than a lemonade tree but if there's something in your life that um, you know you feel was from God that he'd planted that in your heart but it seems like it's just kind of withered up um, just to go and look again just to prayerfully look again so this morning uh, I'm going to do our Bible reading and um, encourage you to open to Hebrews. Um, I'm going to read uh, two scriptures from Hebrews, uh, and then we are going to pray, and then we are going to jump into the message for this morning. Uh, so Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, firstly. Which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Uh, And the second scripture I want to read this morning, as we before we jump into this, is uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, and it is uh, verses 23 to 25, which says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, for not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to um, spend some time exploring God's Word together. Mm, So Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you would transform us by your word. I pray that it wouldn't just be my words, that it it wouldn't be just a reading of scripture, it wouldn't be just a, a flapping of lips, Lord, but we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and manifest himself in this place, that you would make your word living and active and alive in us this morning. And that we would be transformed, that we would be shaped, that we would be challenged, encouraged and inspired uh, 
So I pray that you would do by your spirit this morning, Lord, far more than ever I could do with my words and my voice. Both in this congregation and in myself, Lord. In Jesus' name, your son, we pray. Amen. Uh, so last week was our Vision Sunday, and, and, and so each year we have a, a word or a theme um, for the year. And so last year was transformed. We've still got that up the back. That will be changed in due course. Uh, but this year, the, the phrase, the word, I, I can't, I said this last week, I'm not sure if it's a phrase because it's more than one word, but two words doesn't really seem like a phrase. But, but the theme, the, the vision idea is new season. Uh, for 2022. Uh, and so uh, the scripture we kind of began with last week was from Daniel, uh, where he had uh, this revelation about God. He says, praise, uh, this is from Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 20. Uh, he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. Uh, and so this revelation from Daniel was that the God who gave us the natural seasons, the seasons of nature, also uh, is the, the, the guider and the shaper of the seasons of life. Uh, and, and so, uh, as we spoke about last week, this is a new season for the church. Um, I, I'd love to say post-COVID. It's probably not post-COVID, but it's post the bit that was and now we're in the bit that we're entering into and and things and the shape of that impact on the church has changed um there's other changes uh, in the life of the church. I said last week we've had a bit of a transition um, over the last few years of the, the shape and makeup of our congregation. And of course, uh, as Christy mentioned, uh, we're, we're searching for a new pastor as I'm um, transitioning from this role into my role with the Baptist Association. Um, and, and so there's lots of new things, there's change happening, but a new thing, as we said last week, is also something that we need. God is in the business of making things new. Churches flow in a life cycle, and if we don't uh, seek new vision, fresh direction from God, then we go up the hill and we go back down the other side, rather than uh, refocusing on God and, and seeing continued growth. But also, as I shared last week, this, this idea of new seasons, not just about reacting to change, uh, going, okay, well, what do we do now that, that that part of COVID's over? What do we do now? Oh, no, we need a new pastor. Okay, what do we do now? It's not just about reacting to that. Uh, but my sense from God is that we need to be proactive in this new season. In fact, declaring a new season that we take responsibility as a church with God to shape the new season. And so the analogy I used last week was, was your garden in spring. Uh, when, when there, if there's been enough rain like there has in the last year, when, when the sun begins to spend a little bit more time down south at our end of the world and, and the garden starts to grow, it's a new season filled with potential, but if we don't shape the garden, it becomes chaotic and overgrown and messy. But if we spend the time investing into the garden, then it becomes something beautiful and lush and abundant. And so as a church, uh, I'm encouraging us not to uh, just be reactive to the new season, but to be proactive. And so we ended last week with a call to engage and not disengage, to be part of that shaping. Uh, 
And so last week I said that over the next three weeks, so this is the, the first of those three weeks, we're going to unpack kind of three core parts of what uh, I believe God is calling us as a church into in this new season. And so this week uh, I want to talk about this being a season of being refocused on Jesus and recommitted to his church. Uh, and, and so that's what we're going to spend some time in this morning, that as we declare a new season, as we step in uh, to a new season as a church, that we, we seek to make it a season where we are each and collectively refocused on Jesus, where we are together recommitted to his church. Um, and so this morning it's a little bit corny, um, but I know at Christmas people sometimes wear shirts where it says, "'Tis the season.'" Uh, and so this morning I want to say, "'Tis the season to refocus on Jesus.'" Or perhaps for some of us to focus on Jesus for the first time. It is the time, it is the season to refocus on Jesus. And so the last two years for all of us, I believe, it's been a year of distraction, of disruption, of discouragement, of disillusionment, of dis this and dis that, of dissing one another. I'm not sure how many more dis words I could think of this morning. I ran out. But, but it's been a year of... of, of pulling our gaze away. It's been a couple of years of pulling our gaze away from the things that we normally focused on. And so that's why I'm, I'm challenged and I'm encouraged by this scripture that we read first from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 3, which says, Therefore we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the rates marked out for us. And then in verse 2, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And so this is towards the end of a letter about faith and about religion. Uh, uh, it's a letter to a group of people that are, that are kind of losing their direction. Do we go back to Judaism? Uh, do we throw off everything else? Who is Jesus in the place of this? And, and so it's a letter about who Jesus is to, to this group of followers of Jesus. And he says at the end of it, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Uh, the Greek word for fix our eyes here, yeah, it's one word. And it means to look away from all else and to fix one's gaze upon. To look away from all else and to fix one's gaze upon. And so the author of Hebrews isn't just saying to the church, oh, look at Jesus. He's saying, turn your gaze, turn your focus, turn your attention from absolutely everything else. And fix your eyes upon Jesus. This is the devotion of gaze, of attention that the scriptures are calling for. It says he's the pioneer and the perfecter, or some of us might be more familiar with the author and perfecter of our faith. And so this, what, what this means is it's about him and he demonstrated how it's to be lived. It says that he endured the cross for the joy set before him. This means that, that he walked a road that wasn't easy and yet he still modelled what it means to live out this faith. And so there's no other place worth looking at because it's all about him and he shows us how to do it. And so we can turn from all else and fix our gaze upon Jesus. Um, we're doing Alpha at the moment as 
hopefully you know, and uh, each uh, alpha kind of the, the title of the night is a question, and so uh, the, the one we explored on Wednesday just gone was, who is Jesus? Um, and so even though I've, I've done alpha many times, I'm a um, professional alpha participant, uh, and um, but I'm always encouraged by it. And so my feeling on Wednesday night and watching uh, information about Jesus, how we can trust that Jesus lived and that he rose from the dead uh, and all of that, my, my uh, reflection was, oh, Jesus. Uh, because uh, as the pastor of a church, uh, as a um, now working in a role with our association of churches, I'm a professional Christian, not just a professional author participant, but a professional Christian. I'm um, very much up to my chin in the things of church and organization and, and you know, association of churches now. And, and, and so that, that is all good because it's all about, you know, leading a healthy church, hopefully, and leading churches to become healthy. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in that. And so my reflection on Wednesday night was just the beauty and simplicity of going, oh, Jesus, and remembering to fix my eyes on him and let all of that other stuff, which is only important because of him, flow out from that place. In Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the writer of Hebrews tells us uh, this little piece about who it is that they're calling us to fix our eyes on. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, it says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Similarly, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, In verses 15 to 20, the Son, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so I want to say to us this morning, where else could we possibly want to look? I like the connection between what this Greek word for fix our eyes upon means, turn your eyes away from all else or all things and fix your eyes upon Jesus. And then what Paul says in Colossians, because all things are by him and for him and through him, he's the supreme above all things, he's the glory of God manifest. And so where else would we possibly want to fix our attention than upon him?
But of course, the enemy wants to put a million different things between our eyes and Jesus. Both our literal eyes puts things in front of our, uh, our eyes to captivate our attention. That's how advertising works. Uh, he also wants to put things between our metaphorical eyes, our attention. And so this has to be an active choice because it's not going to happen passively for us. We need to turn our attention, it's an active choice, turn our sight, our gaze from all things, all else, and fix our eyes upon Jesus. Jesus himself encouraged us to do something like this in Matthew chapter 6. You know, I've got lots of Bible verses when there's like streamers coming out of my Bible. Matthew chapter 6 verse 31, he said, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? These are some of the things that it's tempting to fix our gaze upon. And that list from Jesus could go on. I don't think that was meant to be exhaustive. Don't worry. What we worry is what we're focused on in a sense, isn't it? If I'm worried about something, I can't pull my attention from it unless I find a way, usually through Jesus, to stop worrying about that thing. And so Jesus is saying, don't fixate, don't worry, don't be concerned, don't fix your attention on what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall, what you shall wear. He says, for pagans, that is, those that don't know Jesus, run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so in other words, Jesus is saying, focus on me and my kingdom. Let that be your single devotion and the all things, the all else, the everything else that we might get focused on and fixated upon or worried about or concerned about, all else will be taken care of if we simply seek first and focus first on Jesus. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Fix, fixing our eyes upon him, looking away from all else to fix our gaze upon Jesus. And so my question this morning is, what is your all else? What is your things? What is mine? I ask myself this question. What's, what's my things that I turn my attention to? What, what do we need to ask it in a different way? What do you and I and us together, what do we need to actually look away from? Because that Greek word doesn't mean just look at Jesus. It means push all of that other stuff aside, turn your gaze from it to fix your eyes upon Jesus. And so what is it that is clouding your vision, crowding your vision, getting between you and focusing on Jesus? Is it controversy? Is it division? Is it anger? Is it disappointment? Is it disillusionment? Is it distraction? Is it a shiny screen? Is it a root of bitterness? That list is also not meant to be exhaustive. What is the thing? What are the things? And so, 
as we enter a new season as a church, I want to encourage us all that it's a season to look away from the all else and to fix our eyes, to fix your eyes, for me to fix my eyes, for us together to fix our eyes on Jesus. is the season to refocus on Jesus and I also believe it's the season to recommit to his church and I don't think that we can really do one without that flowing to the other if we're fully fixed on Jesus and, and here I'm not talking primarily about a Sunday gathering it connects to that but I'm, I'm not talking about that I'm talking about the church the body of Christ I don't think we can really fix our eyes on Jesus be devoted to him without that in some way over time I don't mean it's like a second and you know all of a sudden everything's here but I don't think we can have one without that flowing to the other that our focus on Jesus flows to commitment to his church because the church is Jesus's idea in Matthew chapter 16, my next little streamer, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, uh, and I'm, I'm not reading the whole context of this, but trust me, you can quiz it later. I'm not taking this phrase out of context. Jesus tells, says to Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church was Jesus' idea. We may debate whether it was a good idea or not in our human understanding. Certainly it's true that in its human outliving it hasn't always panned out, I think, the way that Jesus would have had it pan out. But it is Jesus' idea. And it's also Jesus' body. The church is Jesus' idea and the church is Jesus' body in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. Now you are the body of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth here. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And so the church is Jesus' idea. The church is Jesus' body. And Jesus is the head of the church. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, we already read this. It says, well, I read verse 17 to get us going. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. And so the church is Jesus' idea. The church is Jesus' body, and Jesus is the head of the church. And so the church can be all kind of things. It can be messy, it can be ugly, it can be broken. And this is talking about the humanness of it, because the, the humanness of the church, the, the church itself is made up of humans who are not yet perfected. And so it can be all kinds of messy. And as the church, uh, there, there's definitely a need that, that we have to repent on behalf of, of things done in the name of Jesus and in the name of the church that were completely opposed to what Jesus and the church is meant to be about. And, and so the church can be all kinds of things, but, but these three truths remain, and these aren't all of the things that are true of the church. 
these three truths remain. The church is his idea. The church is his body. And he is the head of it. And so I don't believe, as I said, we can be fully fixed on Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, and and not be growing in our commitment to the church. Because you can't have the head and reject the body. We can't have a decapitated Jesus in that sense. The church can be hard and it can be messy and it can be painful and I get that more than you could possibly imagine. If you want to get a good understanding of how hard and painful the church can be to be a part of sometimes become a pastor, you'll see then. And yet, I still believe that the most radical, fruitful and transformative and beautiful thing in the world is a group of people who are resolutely fixated on the person of Jesus and who are deeply committed to one another, worshipping together, serving one another, doing life together and that is what I call church. Because it's his idea. It's his body and he is the head of it. All throughout the New Testament, there's so many verses I could pull this morning to talk about what it looked like for the early church to be committed to one another. If you want to make a note, if you're a note taker for later reading, and I'm sure many of us have read this, just read the last little section of Acts chapter 2 for a beautiful picture of what church committed to one another looks like. But I want to go to Galatians chapter 6. Verse 10, where the Apostle Paul is talking about not growing weary and doing good, to keep going and you'll reap a harvest if you're faithful. And then he says in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And so there's this sense as followers of Jesus, yes, we, we're called to love our neighbors ourselves. We're called to extend the love of Jesus far beyond the boundaries of what we call the church. That is our calling. We're called to be on mission for Jesus. Yet at the same time, we're called to hold this special place of commitment to one another amongst the body of believers. And what we call that is church. Our love for Jesus, our commitment, our focus of our attention upon Jesus should naturally flow to a commitment to his church. The verse I read before in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. And so the writer of Hebrews was encouraging the church at that time to not give up meeting together, to not give up gathering together as the church to think that you can have the head without the body, to think that you can, you can have your Jesus, but I'll do it my own way, please. I'll do it on my own. He, he was encouraging the church, or she was encouraging the church. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. We thought it was Paul for a long time, but historically that seems unlikely. Uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but they were encouraging the church to spur one another on. 
to encourage one another. That means to give courage, to give strength to one another. To stay essentially committed to one another. And so there's two things I think we need to hold together when it comes to the church if we're, if we're to recommit, to, to commit deeper, to grow in our commitment to it. The first of those, I believe, is not seeing it through an earthly human lens, but seeing it as Jesus does. We get a picture of how Jesus sees the church in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm up to my last streamer in my Bible. In Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 to 27. And so Paul here is talking about the love of a husband for a wife and the love of a wife for a husband, but in it he gives a beautiful picture of how Jesus sees the church. And so in verse 25 he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. And so Jesus, when he looks at his church, he sees a radiant bride without stain or wrinkle or blemish, holy and blameless. Jesus has a deep love and affection for his church. And so the first thing we need to do if we, if we want to be recommitted, if we want to be devoted to his church, and if we want to be fixated on Jesus, if we want to fix our eyes on Jesus, then, then that should naturally flow to that place, is firstly to look at the church the way Jesus sees it. Not as it is in its humanness, but as a beautiful bride, holy and spotless and without blemish. Not just, see, the thing is, it's not just my sins that have been washed away. Hannah won't mind me saying this. Believe it or not, she's not perfect either. It's her sins that are washed away as well by Jesus, and yours and yours and yours. And, and so I, I can't take this forgiveness for me without looking out and realizing that we are all holy and spotless and blemished, unblemished before Jesus' eyes. And so this is the first thing we need to do is, is to see the church Jesus' way. But at the same time, we need to strive with God's grace to see the church become all that Jesus intends it to be. To not distance ourselves from the pain and the struggle and, and the human brokenness that the church can sometimes exhibit and say, no, thank you. But to look upon it through Jesus' eyes and to choose to be a part of seeing it become more and more and more the way Jesus intends it to be. That's what it means to be recommitted to his church for me. And so this new season is a season where I'm inviting us, and I believe God's inviting us as a church, to turn our eyes away from all else and to fix our eyes upon Jesus. And this new season is also a season where I believe that God is calling for us 
to be recommitted or committed deeper, whatever phrase you want to add to the front of that, to, to be recommitted to his church. And so this morning I want to encourage you to take tangible action. It's a heart thing, of course. This is a heart thing of our heart's attention, our heart's commitment. But, but it's not just a heart thing. There needs to be tangible action for each of us. And, and I'm hoping that either by my words or the Holy Spirit or, or preferably both, but more so the Holy Spirit, you're feeling a little bit like that this morning. But I want to say, don't wait till you feel like it. If I wait till I feel like eating healthy and, and feel like exercising more, that's never going to happen. But it's important that I do that. And you know, the healthier I eat, this is cliche, I know, but the more I eat healthy and the more I exercise, the more I start to enjoy those things. And so I want to say, don't wait until you feel like, and I hope you do feel like fixing your eyes on Jesus because I'm reminded that there's nowhere else better to look. But, but don't wait until you feel like, you know what, I just want to be more devoted to Jesus. Don't wait until you feel like, yeah, church! But take tangible steps now, today, tomorrow, and the next day. What does it look like? to push at least a few things aside from your gaze so that Jesus can take up the center a little bit more? What does it look like to take a step towards Ben more committed to his church? And please believe me when I say, and hopefully you can believe me even more so now because I'm finishing in my role as the pastor of this church at the end of June, that this is not about trying to drum up a crowd so that I can feel better about myself as a pastor. This is not about YCBC's you know, growth curve. This is about what I believe to be true that there's the most radical and fruitful. I'm repeating myself. The most radical and fruitful and transformative and beautiful thing in this world is a group of people who are resolutely fixated on the person of Jesus and who are deeply committed to one another, worshipping together, serving one another and doing life together. I fundamentally believe that that is true and I fundamentally believe that is what God's word points us to. And so what do you need to turn aside from to fix your eyes on Jesus? And what step can you take to move forward to be committed, recommitted, more committed to his church? Sometimes... I'm going to pray in a moment. It, it can feel like when there's a message like that, that oh, Nick just thinks we're hopeless. Um, that's the furthest from the truth. It is uh, 
and has been and hopefully will continue to be uh, in a different capacity an amazing privilege to be a part of this beautiful church. So I don't know any other way to say this other than just to say it uh, out loud. I, I hope you don't hear any word of condemnation in that this morning. This is not, we've not been good enough. We've not looked at Jesus hard enough. We've not been committed enough. This is about, I think, God's call for his church, not just this church, all of us, the body of Christ, to be continually on that journey of pushing all else aside and fixing our eyes on Jesus, of continuing to step past the things that would have us want to give up on church, and step again into committing to his church and I say it that way intentionally and so please don't hear condemnation my hope and my prayer which I'm about to pray in a moment is that the Holy Spirit stirs in each of us to take another step towards Jesus and into commitment to his church And so, Heavenly Father, I asked before I preached that you would do more than my words can achieve this morning. I pray that over myself as much as anyone else, even more so. In the midst of the million things that Satan wants to put between my eyes and our eyes, and Jesus, to distract us, to disrupt us, to pull our focus away I pray that you would give us the grace to turn from all else all things, all distractions and fix our eyes on Jesus may we be captivated afresh by his beauty may we be drawn by his wonder May we find peace in his presence. And as we gaze upon Jesus, may we be transformed to be more like him. And Father, I pray in this season that you enable us by your grace to grow in our commitment to Jesus' church. Father, I pray that where there are spaces in our lives and in our hearts and minds and souls where we've been wounded, where we've been damaged, where we've been discouraged by church or people from church or people who've born or claimed to represent the church. Father, I pray that you would bring healing. Father, I pray that you would guide us to take tangible steps, real steps, towards commitment to the church of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we declare a new season in which we are refocused on Jesus. 
and recommitted to his church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.